The X-Zone radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the X-Zone radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or employees. All Hit Radio Welcome to the X-Zone A place where fact is fiction And fiction is reality Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell Ships of the land, ships of the morn Some who wish they'd never been born They are the ghosts of Cape Horn All around a riddle-de-rum With a rim-dim-diddy and a rum Sailing away at the break of dawn They are the ghosts of Cape Horn and welcome back to the X-Zone, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell. My guest this hour is a good friend of the X-Zone, the one and only Jeff Belanger, who is the gentleman behind ghostvillage.com. Now, Jeff has been all throughout the media, many, many, many uh, articles. He's been on television shows, radio shows, and uh, he does the, um, you know, you can always find Jeff at a good paranormal uh, symposium, and uh, he's got something really new and exciting that I'd like to talk to you about uh, before we go any further with Jeff. And Jeff, well, first of all, welcome to the X-Zone. Jeff, great having you with us. Uh, not, hey, Rob. Not only are you doing radio now, not only are you doing your, your books and your many appearances, but you're also doing your own little TV show now. Yeah, this is, uh, boy, this is as much fun as you can have with the paranormal. We, um, we started it back in May. It's called 30-odd minutes, and, uh, it's neat. It's, it's a cable access slash internet show, mm-hmm. which means we're not even allowed to make money, which is kind of cool because it just takes that off the table. We're doing it for the fun and love of the subject and uh, just kind of joking around, taking a lighter approach. I think sometimes through humor, you can actually uh, raise more points than you can if you try to get serious all the time. Tell, tell me, Jeff, do you think at times there's too much sincerity and, and too much seriousness when, when dealing with the paranormal? Holy cow. Absolutely. I mean, think about it. You know, People, don't get me wrong, I understand people are passionate about these subjects. They take it very seriously. I do, too, at times. But sometimes, I mean, let's face it, it, it's weird out there, you know? I mean, some of the implications are are pretty nuts if if you don't believe in them. And so I think if you can just kind of joke around a little and say, yeah, it sounds crazy, but consider this. You know, I think Mm -hmm. we all need to lighten up a little bit. Hey, by the way, congratulations. Uh, last month was your 10th year anniversary at uh, ghostvillage.com. And what, what kind of changes have you seen over the last 10 years when dealing with people who visit your very, very, very popular website? Yeah, yeah 10 years. I mean, that kind of makes yeah. us a grandfather in the, uh, the Internet world. Um, but, but really cool to just, just make it that long. The sites evolve so much, um, but the but the principle has never changed. You know, from the day one, it was always let's welcome every viewpoint: the skeptical, <clears throat> excuse me, the scientific, the believers, the non-believers, the religious, everything in between. Let's have a big open discussion. And so, one of the things I've I've seen evolve is that, first of all, a lot more people come through now, uh, but more people are sharing than ever before. And what's kind of neat is seeing all that in one place, you can really start to see how global this phenomenon is. 
Why do you think there's so much interest worldwide, Jeff, in the paranormal today, especially in the realm of ghost hunting? That's something, I think we're in a cycle that started all the way back in the 1860s. Uh, you know, the spiritualist movement was 1848, and then you had the U.S. Civil War, which really put a big shot in the arm yeah. to the spiritualist movement. People were seeking out psychics. They wanted answers. Again, in World War I and World War II, uh, the spiritualist movement gets another big boost. Products like Ouija boards and talking boards uh, are, are becoming really prevalent in society and, and toy stores and things like that. Vietnam era, and then there's kind of a calm down. Everything went uh, UFOs in the 80s, and I really think since 9-11s, uh, that was the line in the sand where we've got a world in turmoil, people are unsure, people are dying, and people still want answers, and maybe they're not finding them in their, their large religious institutions or, or in other ways. And so we get back to the basics, ghosts, the stories we told around fires thousands of years ago, uh, we're still telling them, although now we're using the Internet and radio shows and television. Uh, but I think it's, it's kind of this back to basics that happens when we're in turmoil. We need answers. I would also imagine, Jeff, that a lot of people want to use those who are able to contact the other side to get final closure with those that have lost. Yeah, I'm sure that's part of it. I mean, I, I'm not a psychic. I, I, I have a hard time relating to that ability, though I recognize we all get gut feelings and intuitions and things like that. Um, but yeah, people do want those answers, and especially when you've got untimely deaths. You know, the churches and mosques and synagogues can only tell you so much, but to, you know, but to have faith, but some people need to hear some kind of message, any kind of message that they believe is from their loved ones. Uh, in the hopes of uh, of closing that chapter. I understand. I mean, it's it's a hard thing to go through. Jeff, stand by. You and I have to take a two-minute commercial break. Exxon Nation, Jeff Belanger is our very special guest. www.ghostvillage.com and for his internet webcast TV show, www.30oddminutes.com. That's the number 30oddminutes.com. My name is Rob McConnell, and this is the Exxon. We're coming to you live and around the world from our studios in beautiful Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. Jeff Blander is with us from ghostvillage.com. They've just celebrated their 10th anniversary. And Jeff, to you and everyone else at ghostvillage.com, congratulations. And, uh, you know, you and I have talked many times on the popularity of the paranormal. What, more and more television shows, more and more movies are coming out in, with the paranormal. What is, in your opinion, Jeff, the, the, the catch or the hook when it comes to investigating the paranormal or wanting to be associated with the paranormal? I think people want to walk where the legends walk. They want to wrap their hands around this. Uh, not so much at home. Mm -hmm. I think very few people would actually want to invite this stuff into their home. But there's such a, there's such a, a romantic uh, notion of 
going out in the, on a dark, scary night, going into the cemetery, going into the old abandoned building, having an experience that you can come home and talk about and remember for the rest of your life. It's this profound human experience. You know, people have, have climbed Mount Everest. Many have. People have flown into space. People have walked on the moon. We've walked on the bottom of the ocean. This is a realm where th- that still holds a lot of uh, romantic ideas. It's still an unknown that's around us. Uh, you don't have to go to the, the Himalayas for this kind of phenomenon. And so I think that's a big part of it. It's, it's the idea of legend tripping, the idea that you want to wrap your hands around a legend, a story that gets told again and again, uh, and, and something you heard, may have heard about since you were a kid, and that's what people want to do. They want to, they want to touch it. Legend tripping, what's that all about, Jeff? Legend tripping is actually an insider folklorist term that's uh, been around for a number of years, and it's been mainly used to describe, I think, what a lot of us did as kids. You know, the idea that you know you heard the cemetery on a full mm-hmm. moon yeah. is, is haunted, and so you'd go running through there and, and see if you could experience something. But today, I, I think anyone who's ever been on a ghost tour, anyone who's ever gone to a city and said, "Hey, let's take the ghost tour," you're legend tripping. You heard that it's haunted. You want someone to show you where, and you want to step where where the ghosts are said to step. And not only that, you can take it to a much broader paranormal spectrum. It's not just ghosts. It's monsters. It's, uh, it's sea creatures. It's Loch Ness. It's Bigfoot. It's even UFOs going to Roswell and looking skyward, thinking you're going to see something that, uh, that might come down from, from another world. You've heard the stories, and you're chasing the stories. Every single ghost TV show or whatever that you've seen, is, is all, it all started with a story. And what Every paranormal investigator is trying to do is, is wrap their hands around that story with gadgets now. Now they're using EMF meters and thermal mm-hmm. imaging cameras and night vision and all this other stuff, uh, trying to say, is there something to this story? But it all started with just a great legend that got spread by word of mouth. Jeff, considering how popular the subject of ghosts and haunted places has really become recently, does this make your job easier to find? Or does it make it harder to find these different haunts than the, as well as the documentation that goes along with the hauntings? It's definitely getting uh, more difficult these days. And the reason is that so many people uh, are interested. And so uh, people want to believe, they want to have an experience. And no matter how small or whatever, they're, they're, they're sending it to me, they're calling, they're emailing. And, and that's a little bit difficult to weed through all that. And then the other part of it is that I've rec- I recognize that ghosts are, are good for business. I mean, these pubs and restaurants and even inns and hotels, a good ghostly legend brings in business. People go way out of their way. And so when they call and say, hey, you can come stay here for free. We'll, we'll give you a free dinner, whatever. Uh, come write about our ghosts. I'm not saying they're lying, but certainly they could be exaggerating or uh, the other problem is that you've got to go back. You've got to talk to previous owners. You've got to talk to previous employees, mm-hmm. people who don't care uh, about how the business does, to find out is there any validity to these stories, to these legends. And that's one of the things that, um, that just it, it makes it so hard because everybody thinks they've got a ghost now. Everything that bumps in the night must be haunted. And, uh, and it's, it's getting tricky. I wish I could afford an assistant to, to just help sort through some of this stuff. Tell me, Jeff, what's the difference between a ghost haunting and a place where there is demonic experiences happening, or believe demonic experiences. I think believe is the key word here. It all comes down to belief. Um, you can have the same phenomena, and this is one of the problems I've had with, uh, you know, with people who call themselves demonologists, is that they're going in and imposing their belief system on somebody else. So, for example, someone says, something's happening in my house and I'm scared. 
Well, there's a lot of things that can happen that would scare you. Anything unknown can be frightening for a lot of people. So if there's a knock on the wall, if there's footsteps or whatever, that can be very frightening. And so the demonologist comes in looking for demons. Meanwhile, maybe a raccoon's in the attic, and that's the footsteps up there. Uh, But at the same time, the demonologist is now imposing their belief system on the people uh, who live there. And that's so frightening. That's so much worse than ghosts. Uh, real demon cases, while I accept them as a possibility, um, based on some of the things I've, I've researched and, and looked into and some of the people I've talked to, I accept it's a possibility, but I think it's so exceedingly rare uh, that most people shouldn't spend too much time worrying about it. Um, you know, you're, you're talking about real dangerous situations. And in most cases, it's just scary basically because it's unknown. And I think it is getting a bit out of hand because all the TV shows, you know, it used to be ghosts were enough, but now it's got to be demons. It's got to be dark, scary things all the time. And I'm just not sure there are enough demons to go around to make all these TV shows. You know, Jeff, uh, you and I have known each other for a number of years, and I, I still can't understand how... So many people want to investigate the paranormal at night, yet when you and I know that the paranormal is also happening during the daytime hours. I was wondering yeah, if you could sure. help me understand this. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's sure that's part of it. I think there's a, there's a number of factors. Number one, some people have day jobs, and that's yeah. the only time they can get out. That's part of it. Uh, another part of it is there's... Um, there's a deprivation of senses that happens at night where you can't see as much. There's less distractions. So, for example, if you go at 3 o'clock in the afternoon to a, a haunted business, there's going to be hustle and bustle, people delivering things, people working there. So if you heard voices or footsteps, it's pretty inconclusive considering all the people that might be around. So at night, um, a lot of those factors are eliminated, not completely eliminated, especially depending on the business, but that's certainly part of it. So if, you're, if your senses are a little heightened because it's dark, because you, you can't see as well, so you hear and feel things that you might not hear or feel during the day, that's part of it. The other part of it is that it's, it's pretty interesting. If you ever look at a, a, a global view from space of the Earth, if you could see our electromagnetic field, it's really compressed and concentrated on the side that this, that's facing the sun, with good reason. It's got to keep those dangerous uh, UV rays out of our, our atmosphere and would cook us. On the dark side, it's, it's a lot lighter. So there's a different electromagnetic field on the nighttime side of the Earth. And so maybe these things are getting charged up all day and then, you know... It, manifesting at night once they're charged. Now, of course, there's plenty of ghostly experiences that have occurred during the day, plenty of stories about people seeing things, hearing things, and, and all those other, uh, all the other senses that are involved. Um, but, yeah, they, they, there's something about the nighttime that just uh, brings these things out. You were mentioning footsteps before, and I was wondering how something that cannot be seen has no physical mass or weight can make footsteps. That's a great question. And, and, and so... Are they making footsteps, or is it the projection of footsteps? One example I've done in a lot of lectures is uh, I've, I've asked people to just kind of close their eyes and picture themselves in an environment where they're comfortable, mm-hmm. uh, you know, wherever, your bedroom, your, your living room, whatever. And then I ask people, did you see your feet? Often people don't. Um, were you dressed, for example? You know, one question people ask is, why aren't ghosts naked? Which is a great question. Maybe the, a human has a soul, but would your blue jeans or your wedding dress or whatever have a soul that would stick around. And so when people picture themselves, they're usually clothed, except those exhibitionists out there, not naming any names, Rob, 
but you know, but the other, but they often don't see their feet. And so, if a ghost might be a projection of what someone wants us to see, maybe those footsteps are a projection of what someone was doing at one point. Not so much to do with the dead, but maybe to do with the living person that they are picking up on something residual that they're hearing something that was there at one point but isn't there right now. Um, yeah, we don't know. That's a great question. You know, I, I can understand, Jeff, for, uh, for example, many ghost height writers, I'm sorry, ghost writers, ghost researchers, ghost hunters, mm-hmm. go to battlefields like Gettysburg where there was a lot of death, a lot of misery, a lot of pain and suffering. I can understand that place being haunted. I can understand places around the world where there are, um, there, where there have been tragedies great number of losses ghosts being seen there but i can't understand why a ghost would hang around a graveyard when they didn't have any any uh any interaction with that site yeah no that's and i think that has a lot more to do with the living than the dead Mm -hmm. graveyards really have all to do with the living very little to do with the dead it's it's a place for memorial Uh, it's a place to put those mortal remains and i've always thought that People walking in a cemetery, whether it's conscious or subconscious, you know that that's your own inevitable fate. One day you too will be in the ground or whatever your, your final plans are, but you're going to die. And it's a reminder when you're in a cemetery. That fear uh, raises your senses just a little bit, makes you a little bit hyper aware. And maybe you're picking up on something almost like the idea of psychometry, the idea where you hold someone's possession and you get a sense of what they look like, um, just kind of from an imprint that might be left on that object. I think the imprint is the bones, the mortal remains of these people. I don't believe that they would be hanging around a cemetery. Why would you? Only, only, you know, only the ghosts of ghost hunters will be hanging around a cemetery one day. Um, if you could go anywhere, I think you're going to go to where you were comfortable, where you were you know, familiar, whether that's your work or your home or, or whatever. Um, but that's, it's way more to do with the living than the dead. Tell me, Jeff, can we then trust oral traditions and folklore as having any truth to them, or do we have to just take them as what people are telling us, made-up stories? There, there is a lot of truth and validity to, to folklore. Here's the thing. If I were to tell you a story that you thought was just completely unbelievable, if I said, hey, this morning I had breakfast uh-huh. with Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster and the Ghost of Elvis, it would be so ludicrous. You wouldn't pass that story along to anyone. Oh, sure I would, knowing I, you. Yeah, sure I would. <laughs> you know, all right, if it's coming from me, I guess it would. Well, thank you very much. But, uh, but at the same time, most people wouldn't. But if I were to tell you something that, based, if I were to look, at, look you in the eye and say, my God, I had this really incredible experience. This is what happened. Kind of subtle, but powerful. And you can see I've been visibly shaking. And you yeah. believe that I believe, at the very least, whatever it was, was real. You might pass that story on. Something happened. Some event occurred uh, to to cause the that was the catalyst. That was the birth of this legend. And it it, go, it legends are real living entities. They grow, they evolve, and they can die if we simply stop talking about them. So if a building has a haunted reputation, it's got a legend that grows, and it keeps growing by people having more experiences. If they don't have the experiences, the legend will go away. After decades, people will stop talking about it because there's no, nothing to reinforce that legend anymore. And so there's something to it. Uh, of course, the legend evolves. It changes as one person tells it to another. Uh-huh. Um, but there's a nugget in there that we, we really sh- should take with some validity. Jeff, stand by. You and I have to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. Exonation. Jeff Blinders, our special guest. He's the young man behind ghostvillage.com. And he also has a new internet TV show that's available at 
www.30oddminutes.com. That's 30oddminutes.com. Jeff Blander and I will be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as the Exxon continues live and around the world from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Back to the Exxon, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell, and Jeff Blander is my special guest, and we're playing a uh, song called My Christmas Tree is Haunted. And Jeff, what's the significance of this song? <laughs> well, I just wanted to capture the joy and beauty of the season, Rob, of course. You know, it's, it's about the kids. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, every, every Christmas I get more irreverent than the one before, and um, this is actually the third Christmas song I've written, but I, I partnered with some pretty talented people. Um, my buddy John Judd, who I grew up with and been my best friend since childhood, is a musician who did all the music, and uh, my father-in-law, Robert Peckman, who's actually been a singer his whole life, had a top 40 hit in the 70s, did the vocals on it, and uh, put together this song really close to Christmas last year, and, uh, and this year it was actually selected for the Rock for Xmas uh, Christmas CD, which goes to benefit uh, charity un- underprivileged families in the Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut, uh, New England area. And it's going to be on a CD that also has songs from Eddie Money and Cheap Trick. And uh, who would have thought that this paranormal guy from Massachusetts would be, uh, <laughs> you know, having musical aspirations that would reach that high. It's just a hoot. Uh, so where can people get copies of this? So where can, can they go online and buy the CD so that a percentage will be going to these needy families? Yep, you can. You go to rock the number four Xmas X M A S 
com and you can uh, you can get the CD there. I think it comes out this week, so it's just uh, just about to be released. And there's actually a tour that'll be New York, Massachusetts, Rhode Island uh, coming up in the next couple of weeks. If people want to go to the shows and see Eddie Money and and some other great bands and. Uh, and also, um, I'll be at least at one of them in uh, Fairhaven, Massachusetts, on December fourth. So it'll be uh, it'll be a lot of fun. That's great, Jeff. You do a great job, and I know that you do a lot of help behind the scenes for the for those who need it. So, you know, you'll be blessed for this later on, my friend. If you're not already, you've got a beautiful family, wonderful daughter, and great friends. What more can a man ask for? No, life, you know, life is great. It really is. Um, I'm, I'm lucky. I'm blessed to be able to do what I love for a living, and uh, and have some a lot of fun projects and and do things that I kind of only dreamed about as a kid. I'm, I'm, I really am living the dream and fortunate. So thank you. Thank you to you for having me on so often and for people who have been buying my books and supporting me over the years. It's it's a real blessing. Well, you know, Jeff, you're, you're living proof that the only difference between a dream and reality is making it happen. And, you know, it doesn't come easy. There's a lot of hard work and a lot of dedication that has to go behind the making that dream happen. Oh, of course. And, you know, that's it's you've got to love what you do. Yeah. I mean, that's... That's the bottom line, because if you don't, it's, it's going to grind you down to nothing. Um, it, it can't feel like work, otherwise you can't do it at night and on weekends and early in the morning and, and at all hours and on holidays and when, you, when you'd rather be doing something else or maybe when you should be doing something mm-hmm. else. And so, yeah, it's, it's been you know, 15 years in the making, and only now is it seemed to be getting a little bit easier <laughs> you know, after all this time. But, uh, but I, I do love it and, and couldn't imagine doing anything else. Jeff, are legends still being born today? Absolutely. And not only being born, they're being propagated faster than ever. And, and not only are, are legends being propagated in, in your town and city, uh, they're showing up as almost copycat on different parts of the world. Uh, one of the best examples is a, a phenomenon that folklore is called the Phantom Hitchhiker. And uh, yeah. you think of like Resurrection Mary in, in the south side of Chicago, probably the world's most famous if we had to pick one. Uh, but there's also one in Massachusetts called the Red-Headed Hitchhiker, Route 44. This, though the, the names are different and the locations are different, the stories almost parallel each other. You pull over, you think someone's in distress, they, they get up to the car and disappear, or they get in the car and disappear, or they jump in the road and you screech to a halt and there's no one there. Um, these kind of things turn up again and again. And I, I wonder if different locations feel like, well, we need one of those too. I heard about Resurrection Mary, and I heard about the White Lady of Easton in Connecticut. Maybe mm-hmm. we need one here in Texas. Um, that's part of it. Uh, other legends you know, get born because someone puts it on the Internet in a blog. They said, gee, you know, this building I went to, I, I saw a ghost. And then someone else responds and says, hey, I saw, I saw one too, uh, and I don't even know you. That's amazing. A legend is born that quick. So uh, the good news is those of us who study this stuff can respond uh, quicker than ever. But it's also, you know, like I said earlier, it's just getting really crowded out there with different stories from all over the place. So, Jeff, as, as a person who is a historian of the paranormal, how do you document something that changes on almost a daily basis? Like, it must drive you crazy. It does, but also I love the challenge. of What interests me, especially lately, is getting to the roots of legends. Being able to go back, you know, some of these legends only go back, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And historically speaking, that's not a long time. You can find plenty of people who were still alive back then and who may be able to shed some light on how these things were born. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's just so much fun because that's the reason I got into any of this in the first place was to try to solve some of the mysteries. Um, I think at first it was, well, there's a ghost. Let's figure out who this ghost was in life. And now when you get into legends, 
you can you can actually if you go back far enough you can sometimes say oh wow there was a car accident right here on route 44 and ever since then people have been talking about this phantom hitchhiker and that was that was the start of it and this is who people think it is and that's what one person said and and it just it really kind of grows exponentially from there so all you can do all i can do is is come at it like a journalist get the facts know what took place historically interview the eyewitnesses about what they saw i'm really not interested in secondhand stories i want firsthand accounts where people said i stood here and this is what manifested right in front of me document that you don't have to believe uh you, you don't have to to trust that person but i believe that they believe and that's enough for me to at least put it out there uh, of what's going on especially at places that have haunted reputations maybe there's something more to it than just a story and that's what really keeps me going you know jeff i can understand the haunted person i can understand the haunted uh, bar or hotel that is still standing today i can even understand the sighting of haunted animals. But when it comes to the sighting of haunted trains, how do you explain this? Yeah, that's, isn't that interesting? You know, we said earlier, like, why would, why would clothes, uh, why wouldn't ghosts be naked? Yeah, uh, yeah, right. And so the train, and I I think in in cases like that, you're looking at something that we would call residual or, or a, an imprint left on a location. Maybe there was a train there at one point in time. Maybe there was some kind of horrific accident that's just replaying over and over like a movie and, and people pick up on it. People talk about it. There are ghost trains all over. There's one in Long Island. There's one uh, in Ohio. There's, uh, you know, where, where people report this thing coming through. And often what leads uh, credence to these legends is people will put specific times on it. And that's always interesting. You know, it's always midnight on a certain date where you, you say to yourself, well, okay, let's go there at midnight on that date and, and see what happens. And you could. Very few people actually do, but it's just uh, one of these little factual nuggets that make these legends memorable and make people pass them on because that's the, you know, that's the implication. Like, well, you could go there on the 31st of July at midnight and you too could see this ghost train if you were so inclined. Um, you know, it's, it's the reason we keep passing these things around. But yeah, are there really trains or, or were they there at one point and some people pick up on them? Every legend's different. Jeff, uh, you and I have talked about the connection between ghosts, you know, ghost haunting, ghost sighting, ghost trains, uh, and other aspect uh, of ghosts. But is there a connection between this, you know, the ghost phenomena and other phenomena within the world of the paranormal? For example, Bigfoot, for, you know, uh, UFOs, uh, the Loch Ness Monster. Is there a common thread in your opinion? You know, I would like to tell you that UFOs are just nuts and bolts from a, a distant, advanced galaxy, and that Bigfoot's just an ape we haven't captured yet, and that ghosts are, are just stories or, or, or maybe even disembodied souls, but I, I suspect there's a lot more to it, and that's where it comes to get back again to these legends. I think there is a connection between all of them, and I know that puts me in the minority, uh, and what drew me to that conclusion is, is you take the same phenomena that multiple people experience, and uh, the one I like to use is old hag syndrome, where you wake up in the middle of the night, you can't move, you're paralyzed, and you might see a shape coming toward you. Uh, it's panic, it's very frightening. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden it's over, and you're back you're in your bedroom, you recognize everything, you can move again, the, the whole situation is over. Someone who's been reading a lot of ghost books or seeing a lot of ghost TV shows may say, that was old hag syndrome, that was a spectral attack. Or you might get religious and say that was a demonic attack, maybe an incubus or a succubus attempting to you know, you know, violate me in some way. 
Or if you're reading UFO and alien books or, or watching those kind of TV shows, you might say, well, that was an attempted abduction. That was a gray. That misty figure I saw was, was an alien that we would call a gray coming toward me. Uh, the same exact phenomena, all, you know, everything identical, but interpreted different ways by different people. And then, of course, the skeptic would say that's just temporary sleep paralysis and a hypnagogic hallucination, which is a, you know, a medical phenomena, which it, it may very well be. And so I think the connection is how we the living interpret it. Uh, but it's all paranormal. And are we creating this in our minds? Are we creating it even into the point of projecting it into reality to where other people can see it? Uh, I think there is a connection, a strong connection, and it comes down to interpretation and legend and what we tell others about our experience. How about orbs, Jeff? There are those ghost hunting uh, groups, organizations, clubs, whatever you want to call them, who are, who are strictly dedicated to orbs. Now, I, I, I have never seen anything from, a, from an orb researcher that would shock me into saying, you know what? I believe. I, I My own personal opinion is that orbs are nothing more than specks of dust or insects or moisture caught by a camera flash. Yeah. Well, I can tell you with certainty, Rob, orbs are real. Do you ever watch a tennis match? Yeah. The yellow thing that goes back and forth? Mm-hmm. That's an orb. Do you ever watch a basketball game, the orange thing that goes in the basket? Also yeah. an orb. No, I, Round you, know what object. you know what I'm talking about, Jeff. <laughs> I know, I know. I, I, it's, you're right. And, and this comes down to, and this is, this is one of the parts that I struggle with, especially people who are new in the paranormal, really hold on to these because for them, they're out looking for something, and, and this orb gives that person some kind of sign that they're on to it. I agree with you. I think it's dust, moisture, bugs. I've called camera companies and said, how does this happen, and gotten really good explanations. Yeah. I've reproduced it. Um, if you want to try this at home, take, take some tissue like you blow your nose with and just rub it together uh, on itself real quick and then pick up your camera and take a picture. You'll see dozens of orbs in there. I don't think your tissue's haunted. Uh, you know, but I think what's happening is your, your camera's trying to compensate for all kinds of particles that are too close to the lens. And so you get these little glowing balls. Now, I've learned years ago as people would show me these things at conferences and things where I'd say, you know, listen, there's a, a perfectly natural explanation. And they'd look at me incredulous and say, you insensitive jerk, that's my Uncle Larry. And, and then I'd say, oh, okay. And I've come to realize that that's almost like attacking a belief system. So really all I can do now is just kind of nod and say, what else do you have? I don't personally believe that there's anything to it. And the only reason I don't totally dismiss it is because I know of people, and I've actually seen a video of glowing balls of light in an environment. I know of people that have witnessed this, but they didn't have a camera. Although I did see this one video that was taken at the Steve Lee house in Colorado um, by uh, um, Dennis William Hawk, actually, was, was one of the people working on that. And he showed me the video where you see this glowing ball of light that produces light. It would go by a tree and light up the tree for, for a moment wherever it passed near. And I said, you know, I guess you can't completely dismiss orbs because I can't explain what the heck that thing is. Um, but otherwise, every photo I've ever seen, yeah, I don't think there's much to it. How about ghost lights? We don't hear a lot about ghost lights anymore. Yeah, ghost lights. I, I, you know, one of the things of ghost lights, especially over cemeteries and swamps and, and all this other stuff, uh, the, the idea, at least maybe the rational explanation, is that it's, it's simply methane that's been ignited. Um, you know, you've got decomposition happening below the ground in all kinds of ways, not just with human bodies. 
and it gets trapped and sometimes it makes its way up and if it gets ignited, poof, you've got a, a glowing ball of light for just an instant until the methane burns up. Uh, swamp gas is one word for it or it's, or, or, or ghost lights. Um, that, the video I saw that, that Dennis Hawk showed me, I would have to say that's, that's probably the real thing or unless, you know, someone's fooling with us, that's the, uh, that's something. And, and maybe the reason we don't hear about it much anymore is that we've got a society that's way more interested in a lot more profound experiences. You know, ghost lights might've been enough 20 years ago. Wow. These glowing balls of light over a cemetery or, or a wooded trail. And now we need to see full bodied apparitions. We need to see, you know, demons and monsters and stuff like that. Uh, it's kind of a reflection of our, our tolerance for, for evidence or, or at least, uh, you know, stories worth sharing. Jeff, stand by. My friend, you and I have to take our final commercial break for this hour. Exxon Nation, Jeff Belanger is our special guest. www.ghostvillage.com. And uh, Jeff has his TV internet show on available at www30, that's the number 30, oddminutes.com. 1-877-610-7035 is toll free throughout the U.S., Canada, Alaska, and Hawaii. My name is Rob McConnell, and you're listening to us live and around the world from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Oh, for God's sake, it wasn't a star, it was an orb, for goodness sake. They don't know the difference <laughs> between a star and an orb. Jeff Blinder is our special guest. First of all, Jeff, as always, great having you on the Exxon. Congratulations on all the great things you do. And Jeff, give that CD one more plug, would you? That you, that you, Eddie Money and, uh, let's see, uh, Cheap Trick Cheap is trick? on with it. Wow. Yeah, and, uh, and, and uh, the song that uh, I wrote, it's, ca- it's called Rock for Xmas. Uh, and the website is www.rock4xmas.com. It's a, it's a great cause helping uh, needy families in the holiday season. And that's, uh, that's where the proceeds go. And it's a great, great music CD. Lots of great holiday rock and roll from uh, people like Eddie Money and Cheap Trick. And, geez, even little old me, which is pretty cool for a, a kid who grew up listening to those guys. Not bad for a spook buster. I know, not bad at all, huh? You know, I'm, I'm telling you, if this book thing doesn't work out, maybe it's time to uh, hit the road with the old guitar. Geez, I don't know, Jeff. You know, uh, you, you're certainly one of the one of the most noted professionals in the in the business right now. And I have to ask you this: Are, are you a Satanist or a demonologist? I'm a Satanologist. That's what I am. It's a big difference, and and, and the whole idea is, you know. I don't get out of bed for anything less than the big dog himself. You know, if you've got minor demons, call the other guys. But when you've got Satan himself, 
then you can ring me up because that's what I want to see. And of course, say that with my tongue in my cheek. Uh, I think the, <laughs> the demonologists have gotten out of hand a bit and uh, and really might be doing some damage, especially to some, some families out there. But, uh, but yeah, we, we do get a little nuts. And if I can poke fun just a little bit and, and help raise some awareness, then by God, that's my job. So what are you up to next, Jeff? Uh, you've uh, Any new books coming out? Yeah, I'm working on a book right now, uh, the whole idea of legends and legend tripping, and I'm excited about that. That'll come. I actually have three books coming out next year, two two books for kids and, uh, and this one, so I'm working on that now. I'm uh, the writer and researcher for the Ghost Adventure series on the Travel Channel. That's been a lot of fun. We're in a bit of a break, but that'll start up again in uh, probably January or February, and uh, always looking for new ideas and great stories, um, looking to document the paranormal as best I can and, and doing plenty of conferences and getting out, meeting a lot of people. So just, just grateful to, to have a job and be working and, uh, and being able to connect with so many other great folks. Jeff, to your, to your, to your knowledge, has there been photographic proof beyond a shadow of a doubt of the existence of ghosts? I've, you know, in looking at a lot of video clips, a lot of photographs over the years, I've seen a couple, two or three out of thousands mm-hmm that I can't possibly explain to you unless, you know, Spielberg was involved or George Lucas or something like that. And to me, it's incredibly compelling stuff. However, there will always be people that won't believe it. Uh, nothing would be enough uh, that, that you show them. And, and to the believer, you know, some people have a really th- low threshold of belief and you show them anything like an orb and, and that's enough for them. Uh, my threshold's pretty high. There's only been two or three. And I think it's, it's pretty amazing. If, we're not being duped with special effects. Uh, but for the most part, I don't know if there is such a thing that could prove to the whole world that this stuff is for real. So I don't even try to. All I can do is say, look, it's perceived as real by millions of people the world over, and I want to understand it because it's a connection to our past. It's a way to discuss our present, and it's, a, it's our own inevitable future. As always, my good friend, great talking to you. Jeff, from our home to yours, a very Merry Christmas. Health wealth and prosperity in the year 2010 and i look forward to speaking to you next year sounds good rob thank you same to you take care jeff jeff blander www.ghostvillage.com that's www.ghostvillage.com and his tv webcast at www.30oddminutes.com when I come back from this news break at the top of the hour at six and a half minutes past, Dr. Alicia Stanton will be joining me, giving you, the Exxon uh, Nation, some ideas about how to enjoy the holidays. My name's Rob McConnell. This is the Exxon, and you're listening to us from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Mm-hmm.